Hey everyone, welcome to the Sneaker History Podcast, where we dive into the people, stories, and iconic moments that have helped make sneakers a global phenomenon. If you've ever told someone that you like their kicks, then you're in the right place. Before we lace up this episode, here's a little teaser for you. Stick around to the end of each episode for the last shot question. It's a chance to test your sneaker knowledge and engage with our community. I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com slash newsletter for a weekly deep dive into the biggest topics in the sneaker business. All right, now that the business is taken care of, grab your favorite pair of kicks and let's get started with the episode. Jordan trying to shake off Starks. Oh, what a move! Against Gil, the crowd on its feet. Allen for the win! To the Sneaker History Podcast. What up, what up, what up, everybody? Welcome to a special edition of the Sneaker History Podcast. I'm Robbie Falky, and we're sitting down here with Jordy Geller, a.k.a. Shoesium. How you doing, Jordy? I'm doing great. What's up, everyone? We hope we get to teach everybody about the nuances of samples and rarities Single shoes, cleats, sample shoes off of move, a little bit of everything. So we're going to touch base kind of in like a hot potato type deal here. Um, but before we dive in too far, um, let's just get a little bit of information about you. Like where um, if somebody who has never spoken to you before, um, where where does it start for you? Like, What's the first shoe that made you like fall in love with sneakers? I'm very obsessed with Nikes, and I have been ever since I was a kid. I remember growing up and wanting all of the latest Air Jordans and the shoes that Charles Barkley was wearing and David Robinson and Andre Agassi and all of my childhood heroes wore Nikes. And like a lot of you, I'm sure my parents would not buy me the top of the line shoes. So I just grew up admiring them from afar and wishing that I could own and wear them. The first Air Jordan that I was lucky enough to own was the Air Jordan 11. I bought it in 1996 when I was 19 years old. And to this day, it's still my favorite Air Jordan of all of them. And it's funny, this episode's going to drop right around a week from now, which is right around when the new Air Jordan 11 comes out. So it kind of comes full circle how shoes like that Hopefully it'll touch a little kid coming soon. He's going to see that shoe and be, oh, no, this is my first Jordan. This is my first experience. I love this thing. I want it to grow with me. I want to love it forever. Like that shoe means so much to me. And I just think it's awesome that Nike's going to make so many of them and give so many other people an opportunity to get to make memories in them. Just like I did. It was a pain in the butt for a while, especially for the 11. Like the 2012, there was ruckus going on to try to get a pair. Yeah, there was. So, I mean, as much as we love scarcity and having elusive shoes, it's nothing better than a GR to truly be a general release and be able to get your hands on it. Yeah, it's it's really amazing. A lot of people talk about the evolution of sneaker collecting and 
of being a sneakerhead, and it's definitely evolved, some for the better and some for the worse. Mm -hmm. And definitely one of the ways that it's evolved for the better, in my opinion, is that Nike is cranking out all of the really cool shoes and making enough of them for all of us to wear and enjoy. Like right now, as we're sitting here, I'm wearing a pair of black and red Air Jordan 3s, the ones that just came out a year or two ago. And I remember a time when these things weren't retroed at all. And then I remember when the first and the second retros skyrocketed in value, but they weren't wearable because the back heel would crack and fall apart and the Crumbling. midsole would crumble. But now it's like, you know, just in the last few years, Nike's made so many of the great threes, fours, fives and sixes that we can all buy and wear. And traditionally, Air Jordans like that, that have the visible air in the midsole would fall apart. And there was a long period of time where none of these shoes were available for anyone to wear. Pay $600 plus the price of a donor to do a soul swap and then have somebody soul swap it for you. So it was not easy. And 2011, when those came out, I remember, I remember specifically having to do a raffle, like in-store raffle. You had to like wait in line. Like it was not easy. And you know what's so crazy is like going back to 2011, I remember the day that the shoe came out. It was Black Friday. And it had the Jumpman logo on the heel. And back then it wasn't a big deal because that's all that we could get. Like, mm -hmm. you know, of course there was the pair from 2001, but that wasn't wearable. You had to go through those steps we just talked about. So you know, there was the pair from the Collezione pack as well in 2008. Mm -hmm. And that had the Jumpman logo on it. And back then it was like, that was fine because we were just lucky to even have one to wear but now with them really paying attention to the little minuscule details of the shoes it makes them even better when once you go to air you never go back <laughs> for some people i still enjoy the jump man on the back my cool gray fours have it on the back heel it's interchangeable for me because i came from that camp you just described i'm happy to have this shoe i don't care whether or not it has a jump man or an air logo on the back I haven't seen this shoe in 10 years, so give it to me. I'm ready to wear it. Um, we just did a Black, Black Friday episode, and be sure to check that out. We go over some of the other Black Friday releases, and that tends to be a very powerful and electric time for shoes to release because everybody has extra money and they're in the mood to be spending anyway. Yeah, and you know... Now there's just so much more hype around the releases of the shoes. But going back just, I don't know, 10 years or so, they had those flu game 12 retros that that, that was a Black Friday shoe. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, back then there wasn't so much hype around Black Friday as, a, as a, a big deal. I don't even think it is a big deal as much anymore as it was just a few years back. But. I comically say I only bought a Roomba this year. I did a grown-up Black Friday purchase, and the Roomba has been saving the apartment. Nice. Well, it's you've got those cats. Beautiful thing, having not have to sweep cat hair and litter every time. But those funny you bring up those flu games, because it came with New Book across the top, and it had, like, the X'd-out eyes with, like, the squiggly face for being sick. And that's not an original take on that shoe. Not even close. Very, very different. 
And that is very much like a lot of the shoes you have in this room we're sitting in, where it looks maybe like an original or something we've seen before, but there's a twist that makes it special or different. And I love that they released that flu game like that because it could have been just a sample, like one of these rare samples we're sitting around now for people like you to have, but it got spread out to everybody. And I think it's so cool. You don't have to have the exact same black and red leather. You can do something different to it and call it the same name and have it still invoke all the memories and everything. It's cool too, that a retro like that also opens up the opportunity for them to remaster it for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. And then re-release the black and red air Jordan 12 in the traditional leather like they did just a few years back. And it's like, you know, it's cool that we got excited back then for what they were coming out with. And now we're excited for really the same shoe, but it's much more close to what it actually was like mm -hmm. when MJ was wearing it back in 97, 98. So it gets you, I don't know, even more excited to get it again. Down to the box, because I look, I'm looking to the right here and I'm seeing an OG box of the Air Jordan 11 with the gray cardboard, black swoosh on the top. And the 2019 retro comes in that exact same type of box. Yeah. So it does make it this, those little extra details that makes it even more like the original, makes everything feel a little special. Yeah, it's nice. It's, it's uh, very nostalgic. While we're kind of in the theme of nostalgia, and before we jump into this beautiful couch full of samples we have here with us um we do have a couple of different versions of the air jordan 11 playoff here to us sitting next to us and they and they each kind of mean something different to you there's a couple different variants here yeah so i'd love to tell you a little bit about, hear about it. my history with the black and red air jordan 11 and hopefully a lot of you will be able to get your hands on the 2019 release next week and then make similar memories or different ones, but maybe the shoe will mean that much to you in another 23 years like it does to me. Maybe it'll inspire you to do what you did with a pair of these. Maybe. Mm -hmm. So I bought my first pair in 1996. I was living in Tucson, Arizona at the time. I was a freshman in college. I wear a size 11 and a half, but I was only able to get that shoe in a size 11, which was good enough for me. Um, they definitely fit kind of snug, but still, it was close enough. So I bought my first pair of Air Jordans. When I was a kid, I always wanted Air Jordans, but my parents wouldn't buy them for me, and they were just too expensive. But when I was away at college, I had a little bit of an allowance that my parents were giving me for things like books and food and haircuts. And I took some of that money, $125 to be exact, and I borrowed a friend's car, drove across town and bought my first Air Jordans. And I wore them. I wore them all the time, very proudly. And I used to walk around just on the heels because I didn't want to crease the toes. Oh, we've been there. Everybody should have been there at one point in their life. And uh, I didn't walk on grass or dirt or mud. And every day when I got home, I cleaned them. And I used to clean the midsole with toothbrushes and I used to use soft scrub or whatever I could find really just to keep them nice and white. And I wore the shoes for about four years. And then I found out that Nike was going to be retroing them 
in 2001. I think it was December of 2001. And I found out a few months beforehand that they were going to be retroing these shoes. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I get another opportunity to get a another fresh pair of these. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was fresh out of college. I didn't have a whole lot of money. And I didn't have an allowance that my parents were giving me that I could dip into to buy the new retros. So I decided that maybe I would take my original pair and try to sell them to see if I could get some money towards the new pair. And I decided to use eBay. And in 2001, eBay was very new and novel and innovative. The company at that time was about five or so years old, but it was really starting to pick up and people were buying and selling sneakers on there. And so I decided that I would take my original Air Jordans, take pictures of them and post them on eBay for auction and just see how they do. And at the time, I didn't have a digital camera, so I used a disposable camera and dropped a roll of film off at the local Walgreens down the street, came back a couple days later to pick up my pictures. Back in those days, it was crazy because you would take pictures and you didn't know how the picture was going to come out or what it was going to look like until you actually got it developed. See it in four days. Let's see what happens. So I got my pictures back and I used the neighbor's scanner to scan them onto a computer. And then I created my very first eBay listing out of my shoes and the pictures look terrible. And I still have the pictures to this day. They're actually in the box where these shoes were. But anyway, I fell in love with eBay instantly. It was so fun and so addictive. I used to sign on and just watch my auction and watch it go up. Every time I signed on, it seemed like the auction was going up in price. And of course, back then it was dial up through AOL. Shout out to AOL. I still actually use my old original AOL email address. But anyway, back then I logged on to AOL with dial up and I would check my auction. Very excited. The shoes ended up selling a week later for one hundred and sixty seven dollars and fifty cents which was more money than I paid for them in 1996. And it was also more money than the 2001 pair that was about to be retroed was going to be. So I actually made enough money off of my shoes that I had worn for four or five years to buy the brand new pair and to take myself out to dinner or to a bar or to whatever I was doing back in 2001. But I discovered eBay with the black and red Air Jordan 11. Fast forward many years later, my wife and I were also married on 11-11 and we wore black and red Air Jordan 11s in our wedding and Tinker Hatfield was kind enough to customize two pairs of Air Jordan 11s for my wife and I Both are also black and red, my size and my wife's size. And Tinker drew our life story of how we met one another and got engaged and some of the fun memories that we've had. He drew them all over the uppers of the shoes. So my most sentimental pairs of shoes in my collection would be the shoes I was married in and the ones that Tinker designed for me. And then of course these original ones are also 
very special. We have a pair of 96s in our hands as we're going through this, that story there. And to think you couldn't do that now, even like, let's say you had a pair of 2012s. If they were worn, no, you probably could. A pair of 2012 breads if you're trying to sell those to help pay for the 2019 pair. That would just about work, right? You might get a couple dollars over. Re yeah, I mean, depending on the condition. Yeah. But I don't know. Right now, it's so close to the release of the new one that nobody in their right mind would buy an old used one when it doesn't have the details of the original, like the high cut patent leather and the white line around the top of the patent leather and blah, 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 and all those little things. But some time ago, you know, six months ago or so, it may have been feasible. Maybe after you can get some people with um, loser's remorse. Yeah. <laughs> Try to sell them then. I'll tell you another just crazy story about the black and red Air Jordan 11. So I opened up the Shoeseum in San Diego and I entertained the Nike executives in March of 2011. And in April of 2011, there was a newspaper story about the Shoeseum and about the Nike executives coming and visiting me. And somebody reached out to me, Judd Bushler's dad. Judd Bushler played with Michael Jordan for three of MJ's six championships, including the 95, 96, 72, 10 yeah. season. So anyway, Judd Bushler's dad reaches out to me and says, hey, I just read a newspaper story about your Nike collection. I would love to come and see it. I have a pair of Michael Jordan's shoes that he gave to my son, and they've been sitting in our garage for about 15 years, and I would love to come and give them to you in exchange for a tour. And I'm like, are you serious? You have Michael Jordan's shoes, and you want to come and just give them to me? just to come and see this place that I built. He goes, yeah, yeah. They've just been sitting in the garage. Like I can't imagine a better place for them. And I have no idea what shoes he's talking about at all. And I didn't feel like it was appropriate to, to ask him. Yeah. I mean, he has Michael Jordan's shoes and he wants to give them to me. I don't care Enough. what they are. Yeah, like, right. They could be Birkenstocks, you know, or Crocs. So anyway, a couple days later, Mr. Bushler shows up at my warehouse door and he had MJ's black and red Air Jordan 11 Lowe's. Oh, patent leather ones, not the IE ones with like the elephant print, but the patent leather. Like the 2015 pair. Right. But that pair has a red liner. Michael Jordan's pair looks like the originals from 96, just low Whoa. tops. So. Here, Mr. Bushler hands me these shoes, which are just an absolute unicorn. MJ only wore that pair one time, and it was in game one of the NBA Finals against the Seattle Supersonics. And I don't have any sort of a certificate or a letter of authenticity that says that my shoes are the That's shoes fair. from that game. But when you look closely at the pictures that are out there of the shoes when MJ was wearing them, there's a lot of heavy creasing on them. And there are a lot of unique details about the shoes that are identical on my pair. For example, the lows have high top laces like the laces seem like they were made for a shoe that has an extra at least two eyelids. So they're super long, super long. And there's 
pictures from the game where MJ's laces almost look like rabbit ears hanging off of the shoes. And that's exactly what was handed to me. I mean, it's like uncanny. And I don't think that I fully realized it at the time when he handed over the shoes to me because I was so excited just to meet him and talk to him. And ironically, a couple years earlier, I was on an airplane to Las Vegas and Judd Bushler happened to be on the plane. And I had a Soul Collector magazine that had pictures of the black and red Jordan 11 in there. And I went up to Judd Bushler and I was like, hey, hey, I know you were a part of this team. Can you sign the magazine like on this image of the shoes? And it was just so uncanny that a couple years later, his dad shows up at my warehouse door and he's handing me MJ's low top shoes. And I still have to this day that's that old magazine with his signature on there. It's just weird. You can't make that up. <laughs> and when you look at the pictures of game one of MJ with the shoes, it seems like Bushler's like in the background of every picture. Like, it's just the weirdest thing. There's not a whole lot of really good pictures of MJ wearing those shoes in that game. But everyone has Bushler like right there in the background. It's not like there's a lot of pictures of Bushler floating around either in the sneaker realm. So that's even more tying the museum was decked out with all these Nike and Jordan posters. I bought a lot on eBay of 200 Michael Jordan posters, and they showed up in like all rolled up like a big giant carpet. I had no idea what I was even buying when I bought them, but they were like such a good deal. And there were so many and they were all MJ. So I knew that it had to be good. Mm -hmm. And it was like amazing going through and checking them all out but anyway i had a poster of the 95 96 bulls team and it was hanging proudly in the museum and it was like so awesome to be able to walk mr bushler over and be like look you know here's your son right next to jordan and pippen and rodman and i mean that was a squad mm -hmm. i get uh i get some charge arguments sometimes about who's the greatest team of all time well who is I definitively think that Kevin Durant's Warriors team could beat the 96 Bulls. Well, you're definitively wrong. Right? No way. It's it's a beautiful conversation, and I don't want to go too deep into it, but Dennis Rodman's what, like six foot eight? He's taller than that, I think. I thought Rodman was on the short side. Maybe six nine. But what? Pippen's six seven. Yeah. Kevin Durant's seven feet tall with a jumper. Yeah. So that means you have to pull one of those two guys away from the hoop. If anybody helps, you have the two best shooters of all time, Clay and Steph Curry. And if they help off the four, you have a great playmaker in Mr. Draymond Green. So you can't help off of anybody on the Warriors. And they count by threes and the Bulls count by two. That's my big argument. Your opinion, but I disagree with you. Many people do. I would say it's about 90 10. 90% think I'm crazy. 10% can entertain the idea. I have a whole like thesis about it. That's just like the general consensus, though. Is what are you going to do about Kevin Durant? And you count by threes. All right. Defensively, Draymond, Clay, 
both all NBA defenders. They're not stopping. Nobody's stopping Jordan. No one's even coming close to that. But what I'm saying is you have bodies that can help. It's very tough to compare teams from different generations. Completely different generations. MJ was not a loser. Correct. And I can't see him losing to the Warriors. It's tough. But can you also see anybody on the Bulls trying to trying to guard Steph from about four feet off the three point line? This Steph messes everything up so badly for defenses. You just put Kerr on him, right? He's taught him everything he knows. <laughs> he got some weird Back to the Future stuff. You have current day Steve Kerr go back in time, give the lowdown to the Bulls about what the Warriors will be doing. Yeah, that'd be some cool stuff. But we digress. It's just it's, it's a beautiful conversation to have because <laughs> you can put the Lakers in there Shaq and Kobe Lakers. There's a couple fantastic teams in the history of history of basketball that all do different things. The 72 and 10 Bulls were so exciting to watch and so many of their games were televised. I can't even tell you how much fun it was to come home from school and just watch the Bulls on WGN. I miss those days. Beautiful time. WGN. That was actually still nationally televised for a pretty long while. Yeah. I don't do it anymore. But I remember watching. It was like public access in Las Vegas. You got WGN in Las Vegas. But that's a whole other story. Let's circle. Let's circle the wagons back around. We were talking about the different variations of shoes. We have a ton of one-offs here, tons of things in the development process. Basically, samples galore. Yeah. And before we jump too far into them, you brought something up when we were kind of walking the rows of all these shoes. You noticed that there's different levels of samples or different types of samples. Not that we have to be the master of what all of them are, but the sample is not just one one unifying term. There could be tons of different ones here. Yeah, it takes a long time and a lot of steps to be able to develop a pair of shoes. And right now we are surrounded by about 150 pairs of Nike samples at various different levels in the production process. Some of the shoes that we have here don't even have outsoles. They're just uppers. And another shoe that we have here has these crazy pink roof ball wall balls on the bottom. It's a Vince Carter upper that was an innovation sample where Nike was testing out different cushioning ideas. And this shoe just looks insane. It looks like a monster, like somebody cut these pink balls and just like mounted them all over the bottom of the shoe. It reminds me of when you have grandparents and they're trying to park when they're old and you have the ball dangling by a string in the garage. And when the ball hits the windshield and it's time for them to stop driving forward, it's like they just covered the bottom of those Vince Carter threes with those bouncy balls. Yeah. Or even like uh, what you'd have on a old person's Walker, like the little yeah, tennis the balls on the bottom. 
the developer that worked on this shoe told me that it was called a three pock and pock was spelled P-O-C, which stood for point of control. And they were just experimenting the different points of control when the foot hits the ground. This shoe is absolutely insane, seriously. And nothing like this has ever hit the open market. Mm -hmm. A few years ago, they had an exhibit on display at Steve Prefontaine Hall at Nike World Headquarters, where there were 10 or 12 or 15 or so of these just like crazy, funky samples just like this, where they were just experimenting with all sorts of different soles and midsoles and just cushioning experiments. And this is a shoe from that display. And what's even cooler about this shoe, so when I was going through all of these shoes and staging them and photographing them, I reached into this shoe and there were actually original sketches inside the shoe from the original designer and developer of just his idea of putting these balls on the bottom of the shoe. And it's just like such an awesome piece to be able to have in anyone's collection, like real art and then the shoe. Mm -hmm. You're and it's a one, too. So there's not two. There's not a full pair to it. That's definitely for the the innovation collector. Someone that's looking to get items that helped push product onto the market. That's exactly what that is. Like without that, there wouldn't have been a product to push to the market. You, you got to test it. It's just insane. I mean, it's like, you know, these papers right here represent the idea. And then this shoe is a manifestation of that. Mm -hmm. And it's just so cool to see somebody just like sitting down and sketching this out and then making it come to life. And then like, here it is, you know, it's a complete set as far as I'm concerned, because nobody in their right mind would wear this shoe anyway. So like it's unwearable it, as a pair or a single shoe, whatever it, it, it gets the job done. It, this is like one of the earliest stages of innovation and development when we're talking about, you know, the different types of samples mm -hmm. that there are. And then there is samples that are kind of just about all the way done, but maybe not all the bells and whistles and brandings of maybe the athlete is for. We have here a Penny Hardaway foam posit 1997 sample that has Penny on the outsole, but the tongue branding is missing. The heel branding is missing. So I got to just digress and share a quick story about yeah. this shoe. This shoe means a whole lot to me as well. I mentioned earlier that I bought my first Air Jordans in 96 in Tucson, Arizona when I was in college. So I was fortunate enough to also have been in Tucson when we won the 1997 NCAA National Championship with Mike Bibby and Miles Simon and we had a mm -hmm. squad. Mike Bibby was the first player to break these shoes out. Well, also, there were some other players on the team that wore these, too. But before Penny ever wore the dark neon royal foam posit one, Mike Bibby and the Arizona Wildcats did. And I remember watching 
them on TV. And back then you couldn't like pause TV and you couldn't zoom in and there was no internet mm-hmm. and there were no pictures that people YouTube were talking about. Nope, none of that at all. And I was like right up on the monitor of this TV that was not a big TV at all. And I was just like, what are those? Like, are those Nikes? They don't have swooshes on there. What the hell are those? You know? And I knew that our team was a Nike team. Like we, we were Nike jerseys. There were swooshes on the jerseys. Yeah. The Arizona Wildcats wore Nikes. So it was like, what were those, you know? So this shoe is just amazing and, and very special to me. And it's awesome to have in my hand, a sample right here that like you were talking about, it's unfinished. It doesn't have the same branding as the one that was released to the public. And it's just cool to have a piece of the process of the development of, of such an iconic shoe. And like you were saying, it's closer to what we came to know as the foam posit one mm-hmm. than something like that crazy Vince Carter shoe. But it's a step along the way. So that's pretty much the final product without just little aesthetic things. We have another pair here, which is a cult favorite. If you were a fan of Nike basketball shoes in the early 2000s, there's a strong chance you are a fan of this shoe. And it's the Flight 2K3. Um, Very, very minor differences from the release. But I'm seeing around the outsole, that's typically not there. The heel has like a shark fin looking detail that I believe is not on the release pair either. I think you're right. The side panel that has like the perforated, like TPU feeling. What is it? That's like plastic, right? But it feels different than what I, yeah, than what's released. I think there was like a under, there was an under portion to the 2K3 that released, and that's just straight ventilated. So it's cool when when I've been looking through all these different samples, I look at the tags and they reveal a lot of information. This is a look-see sample. And some of these other ones say promo sample or sales confirmation sample. There's been an FSR sample, full size run sample. That one incidentally is a really large shoe as you think about it full size run sample is going to be how it looks from size you know seven and a half to 14 the promo sample is going to be a retail version just for promotional purposes i get stuff sent to me that has promo samples on the inside it's the exact same version as the gr it has a gr box a lot of the gr like they don't have the gr box but without the logo or the label skew yeah the label um but it's as is just in promo version because it's a gift or from somewhere sometimes a tag will look like the regular normal general release tag Mm -hmm. but then when you look on the bottom of it it will say nine 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 and that to my knowledge is the sample that's closest to the ones the the normal release of the shoe Mm -hmm. but it's been interesting going through and kind of just looking inside each shoe and seeing how far along in the development it is. Because at that point, you said that was a look-see, this, this, these two K3s. Yeah. You're looking at them, you're seeing how they look, and you can make little changes if you want to. I can't help but think of the whole 
sample scandal that went down about five years ago with, with Kyle Yamaguchi and the dude in Florida and yes. the look-see sunglasses and all that. Um, for any of you that are unfamiliar with that scandal, there was a Nike employee that was ordering one-off look-see samples from the factory and then he was supplying another individual out of Florida who was selling the shoes online and just making a killing and Nike went after these guys and prosecuted them but kind of to add insult to injury the former Nike employee that was stealing the samples created his own sunglass company which was called look see just like the samples that he was taking and he was taking iconic Nike prints and making the sunglasses look like Nike shoes. So it was Ooh. just like insane. And there's pictures of this dude. He used to go to like all the sneaker conventions and post up with tables of these one off samples that he was ordering. And he was just sitting there flexing, wearing his look see sunglasses. And oh, my gosh, it was just like such a bad look. The LeBrons were heavily influenced by that kind of process of ordering look-see samples and this having them sold on the secondary market. So like the LeBron 7, probably like 7 through like 10. Yes. Anything that should not have been out there on the market was out there. And they were like $10,000 shoes or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, something is... I think of like the Deion Sanders or Penny Hardaway and Michael Jordan Hero Pack, LeBron Sevens. Those those were floating around pretty heavily for not ever being released. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Um, and then you have stuff. So speaking of LeBron, I feel yes, like we've got to segue. go from the 2K3 to the Zoom generation because LeBron did also wear the 2K3. But I've got right here. A shoe that I feel is very significant, and as time goes by, I think that this will just continue to become more and more desirable. Mm -hmm. It's a sample version of the first game Air Zoom generation. So this colorway is what LeBron wore in his first home game. It's not what he wore in his first game 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 that was the white black and crimson colorway but this shoe is so significant in the fact that it's called the first game and it's his first shoe and it's a sample it's in completely pristine condition it's still got the peel off sticker along the chrome part on the back and you go back and nike didn't even call lebron's line of shoes the lebron one out the gate it was the Air Zoom generation. And it's just like this shoe right here represents so much history. LeBron just signed a lifetime deal with Nike. He's not going anywhere. They're opening up the LeBron James building. It's the newest building that's being erected at Nike World Headquarters right now. It's absolutely incredible. Mm -hmm. And we're looking right here at the beginning of his line of shoes in one of the most iconic colors. I mean, there were only four colors that they released and then a few samples that didn't release, but still like this shoe is so significant. And as a sample, I feel like it's just really special. It's like having a pair of Chicago's in your hand. That's what Chicago I think, ones. you know, it's tough to compare 
MJ to LeBron. But if you can get over that hump and do it, you look at, okay, the Air Jordan one, and what are the most iconic colors of it? And it's the Chicago, it's the black and red, it's the black and royal, and it's the black toe. You know, those are the four most iconic colors of the Air Jordan one. And yeah, there's a bunch of other amazing colors too, mm -hmm. but those are the most iconic. Creme de la creme. And if you look at the Zoom generation, it's the white, black, and crimson that he wore in his first game. It's this one, which was the first home game. There's the black and red one, which is also sick. Mm -hmm. The wheat ones that were supposed to come out for the all that he was going to wear in the all-star game, but he didn't make the all-star team. And then there's also like the Clippers ones that were supposed yeah. to come out then and laser ones and this and that. But like the iconic ones, this is this is one of them. That is heartbreaking for me to see because I didn't hit on the retro last year. And they're actually pretty were pretty penny, not too far over retail, but that shoe definitely invokes the feeling of an entry of a new era. Like when LeBron wore those, we were officially in the LeBron James era of things. You're right. And I think it's interesting they didn't call it the LeBron one. A lot of people were doubting, even there's that hysterical sound bit of Ricky Davis talking like, oh, LeBron's in the fit and just fine. He's going to be a role player. Basically making it sound like it's Ricky Davis's team and LeBron's going to be supporting Ricky Davis and Carlos Boozer. And it didn't quite go that way for Mr. Ricky Davis. But no, there, there, not everybody believed in LeBron, believed in the hype. Like that he had chosen one tattooed on his back before he played his first NBA game. But in hindsight, these samples are literally a relic of it worked. Interestingly, there's also three sample LeBron twos in this collection. And one of them, the sample tag, calls the shoe the Air Zoom Generation 2. So at some point along the way, they were still flirting with not even calling it the LeBron, but of course they ended up going with the Zoom LeBron too. You can play with names very easily because some other shoes, you know, it could go by Air Zoom Generation or Nike LeBron, or it could be a 2K4, or Kobe has legal problems, so we're going to call it a Hirachi. <laughs> There's a, a rose by any other name is still a rose. Let's put it that way. And we have here two super crazy 2k4 hirachis which from what i just said it would have been the kobe one had kobe not had that case but we have a university of oregon edition 2k4 that's made with kangaroo on the white upper and shark along the heel and toe just absolutely insane with university of oregon branding on them the designer had the material and was like, I want to just see what I can do. Just see if I can pull this off, make the shoe out of kangaroo and make the accents out of shark. And it's not heavy. It feels like a stock pair. God, this is a the traction's fantastic on this shoe. I remember when this shoe first came out, of course, in 2004. And you got to go back in the Hirachi lineage to the early 90s. And you go to the Air Flight Hirachi. We were talking about this just the other day. And, you know, the significance of that shoe with the University of Michigan and all that. And this shoe came out 
12 years later, which seemed like an eternity. Like when the 2K4 came out, it seemed like the Air Flight Hirachi came out a lifetime ago. But time freaking flies. And really like that 12 year gap, there weren't a lot of Hirachi basketball shoes that were coming out. Eventually they stopped. There were none. You know that, yeah, like there were bits and pieces of Hirachi technology in other shoes. Air Jordan 7, for example, has like the Hirachi like tongue. Mm -hmm. But eventually, like after the early 90s, the Hirachi sort of just like faded away into oblivion. And, you know, they were retroed a little bit in the late, late 90s, mainly the runner Hirachi, not really the basketball one. But this thing was like a breath of fresh air when it came out in 2004. And it really likened back to the earlier one, especially when you look up here around the ankle and this cutout piece like here, it has the that exact same material. Yeah. You know, it's just like very similar to the original basketball Hirachi. My brother used to rock these shoes in 2004 and play ball in them. I had the navy pair. I had the gray like the mist blue. This is a top three model period to me. I love the 2K4 more than. When you life. said that to me, it really excited me because this collection, not only does it have these couple 2K4s, but there's also a little crystal air Hirachi, like a paperweight type of a thing. And mm -hmm. I remember when I was going through all of the knickknacks, in addition to all of these shoes, this former Nike employee also amassed a desk full of cool Nike swag. And I remember as I was going through the stuff, there's like a Nike Bruin keychain. And I was like, oh, cool. We'll find someone that's really into Bruins and they'll get this keychain. And then when I stumbled upon the 2K4 crystal thing i was like oh wow you know i bet someone out there loves the hirachi 2k4 and then boom we met and when you walked in and saw all of these shoes you, you totally lit up over all of these hirachis and i was like wow well here's that guy right. that, that loves the hirachis market has been found and th there's a second pair here with mark echo rhino branding on them and underneath the insole it says free kobe it's a gr colorway it's the black, it's the white, black and red, but with a whole bunch of unauthorized, <laughs> I wouldn't say unauthorized, but um, never greenlit. What's crazy about this shoe is it's fully branded with the uh, Echo Unlimited. The box also has like a sample tag on it that, that says that. It, and it's just. Uh, oh, underneath the strap, there is. Yeah, Unlimited. Yeah, and also the insole. It's always cool when there's like an official collaboration that's not just like a, oh, this was like inspired by or whatever. Like this is like legitimately for sure a, a collaboration with Echo. But yeah, it's cool that it's they say free Kobe in there. That's I have this exact same. It's the only I had this colorway, too. Um, it's the only pair of OG 2K4s I have. And they talk because the outsole is completely coming off to here and this the heel flaps around huh. but that's just tell me cleaner lines there's the strap i mean the strap was awkward if you don't like strap shoes but the upper feels like it's like it's the weirdest material it almost feels like rubber mm -hmm. we have there's another pair of foam posits we have over here that are um, all outsole or midsole material and it kind of feels similar. I was thinking that too. Similar to that. 
So that's branded with Mark Echo. There's these completely absurd McDonald's Super Size Me shoes. And remind me the name of this model or what they called it. The Lazy Boy. Like, and it's spelled L-A-Z-Boy. And there are rolls of fat or layers of overlay that make it look like fat rolls. <laughs> no other way of really putting it. We'll have photos of all of, the, all of these shoes in the description. So you'll be able to see what we're talking about. These shoes are absolutely insane. I mean, when I was going through this collection of 200 artifacts, this was the pair that I was just like, oh, my goodness. Look at these like, OK, so the shoes look like fat, like rolls of fat and all over the uppers. Yes, they're branded with the golden arches. It says super size me on the front toe there. There's only one Nike and one swoosh, and it's on the outsoles. Nowhere of the on shoe. the top. You would never know this is a Nike shoe if you didn't look on the under part of it. Yeah. The one in my hand says Nike, and the one in your hand has the swoosh. Has this, the lone swoosh. It's got this crazy tread that goes up the back, too. It's almost like a tire, sort of reminiscent of the Air Jordan 14. But oh, these yeah. shoes are freaking nuts. And then the insole has just someone wearing no shirt and just a big fat belly. It reminds me of the Kobe 2 by Adidas got fat. <laughs> I can see that. So outsole shape is crazy. That is completely out there. Um, Canada. The next shoe we have that's completely out there. These, I think I saw one pair in my life before this pair. And I might be remembering it incorrectly, but it's the Shocks Force One. We've had a couple episodes where we talk about how popular Air Force Ones have become in recent years. And these are the bricks to end all bricks. These things are heavier than a mug. They have fully external, well, fully visible internal shocks columns from toe to heel crazy grandpa or crazy uncle crazy uncle crazy uncle on the heel um, it says shocks force one on there instead of air force one because there's no air cushioning instead there are shocks and the outsole is translucent gold and it's insane because like you can look underneath the bottom and see the shock absorbers in addition to from the side like the, these shoes are just wild it looks like metal like fasteners they look so they don't look like normal shocks they look super heavy i guess my brain's telling me that because they feel so heavy but they're brown leather right or they're or they they're black and gold black and gold Color blindness at its finest right there. Not With being able the to tell. laser etched on the heel is the face of Crazy Uncle. Those are absolutely crazy. What size are they? Nine. If you're a size nine and you are in to rare Air Force Ones, check out the listings. We'll have a link to that in the description also. But these are... That's something totally out there that a nutso collector would want, but also very, very wearable. True. You could 1000% stunt on somebody and just pull those out and feel very confident that nobody else 
these and the room has them. You're right. These are a look-see sample, and a lot of these shoes have this really funky logo on them that I had never seen before, and it's an innovation logo. It looks like a bunch of dots that are kind of like morphing into each other, like sort of like Terminator 2 style, but the dots actually show an I and then an exclamation point, and the I stands for innovation. The guy that owned all of these shoes worked in innovation at Nike for 30 years. And so that's why there's all this just like crazy wild stuff here. Look at this. Like, look what happens when you push the midsole. Can you hear this? Like, oh, I can. They can. We can. It like the shocks pop. Those are. I would if those are a size 12, I would consider having a lot of money and buying those. <laughs> the listing is already over a thousand dollars with a week left to go. But it's worth it. I mean, those are a completely wearable piece of history. Yes, they are. Shout out to sneaker history. Shout out to sneaker history. I like your logo too. Thank you. It is a beautiful logo. We had an older one that was also good and this new one grew on us and now it's quite fantastic so you said he worked in the innovation kitchen and nike is always trying to think of new ways to make things more comfortable for athletes or better or to make something more minimal to integrate something all these different types of reasons why they would play around with shoes and here we have my favorite pair probably of the group here that isn't a 2k4 let's very specifically put that <laughs> outlier out there those are the best but very close are these tacos and there's a couple tacos here some are carnitas no i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> there's they, these are vegan um to a degree <laughs> as if you're not eating them but um it's these air max 90s pardon me these air max ones with a sock built in and we're not talking like in a lunar epic where it had the sock kind of ankle, kind of like a sock like ankle where you were still expected to wear a pair of socks underneath. These tacos were designed to nix the sock altogether. Yeah, you'd be wearing just this shoe. My first thought is, how are you going to how are you going to wash these things? Your, if your feet stink. How are you getting like, the sock? must not be able to come it has to be integrated into there so yeah these are insane and like you're saying they have an integrated sock and it's one of those things like when you actually hold the shoe in your hand and you start really picking apart the details of it like look up here at the toe box and at the tongue it's a sock this shoe all the way through is straight up a sock that morphed into an Air Max One and that Nike is calling an Air Max One taco or a taco Air Max One. And uh, this pair that we're looking at is all white. There's also a black and red pair up for auction. And then about four or five other tacos that are just different versions of Nike shoes with these built-in socks. Those are so, I mean, I can't be the only person listening that has put a pair of shoes in the washing machine. We all have. Yeah, right. You got to put those in the washing machine. Like 
if I guess maybe know thyself is very important if the taco were to ever release. If your feet stinks, don't wear a pair of tacos. <laughs> but just the idea is so cool. And it, it looks like the Nike, the Nike racing socks for $18 now, where it has like the heel tab kind of extended up and it, and it cuts down, it swoops around the ankle. So a lot of these samples, in addition to the sample tagging on the inside of the shoe, they'll also have a tag hanging off of the outside of the shoe that will say the factory where the shoe is being made. And then there will be notes on the shoe. Like, for example, this one is talking about the collar foam and the vamp and adding lining to it. So it's just like really cool to get a piece of the production process right here mm -hmm. that in it's including notes about what's to come, like what the next step is. It's kind of like they're they're playing with what they have. Let's try mixing this, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Kind of Powerpuff Girl style. <laughs> Sugar, spice, everything nice. You add a little bit of special ingredient, Chemical X, and you get a Nike Air Max taco. That's right. But there are stuff, there is stuff, that does get released that really pushes the innovation of what a Nike is. So we have two shoes here that could not be more different, but also couldn't be more different from each other. So we have a Nike Vedechka. The help me out here. I think it's Vedochka, but I'm not Russian, so I don't know. Help us out here. This is one of the hardest shoes to say. I know there's people out there listening who are like, these idiots can't even say the name of the shoe right. <laughs> but Z-V-E-Z -E is never an easy. Zvez. Zvez, right? Um, Zvezka, Svedka, alcohol, like that I kind of get. But this is this is a four-piece shoe that comes. Who is the designer that helped? Mark Newson. Mark Newson. He's an artist. He has done everything from amazing furniture to iPhone cases. And, you know, when you're at the grocery store and they have those fancy glass bottles of water or bottles for you to hold your water and they're like $20. And then they have that rubber holder that has all the circles on it. It kind of looks like this Vidochka shoe. Mm -hmm. But he makes all sorts of funky things. And in this case, he collaborated with Nike back in 2004 and five originally to make these shoes, which were very limited. The retail on them was $300. You were mentioning that they're made up of different components. And Mark Parker, the current CEO of Nike, has said that this shoe is one of the most important collaborations that Nike has ever done because it really opened Nike's eyes up to new ways of manufacturing shoes. So the different components that make up this shoe, I believe, were made in different factories or were made simultaneously and then put together. It's just completely different than a shoe like the ones that we're wearing where everything is all stitched together. This shoe kind of like comes apart in different pieces. Five colorways released. You have a bunch of non-release colorways in the listings and each of them, I think, work extremely well in 2019. They do. They've aged so well. So there are 11 pairs that I have 
up for auction right now, including there's a one of one where Nike was experimenting with trying to make the inner booty sort of look like clouds, where instead of it just being all blue or all white, it kind of morphs from blue into white. And the rest of the shoes are all monochromatic. Mm-hmm. But Nike retroed this shoe not too long ago. And they sold out again. I don't think that they had the $300 retail price point, but I'm not sure. Just looking at it, they're so much fun. They're not my style. I couldn't pull them off, but they are just, they're literally a work of art. Something that's really cool about them is that the parts are interchangeable from one shoe to another. So if you buy a pair of orange size 11s and a white size 11 and a black size 11 you can take the gray inner from this one and put it into that one and into the other one you have a white cage with orange in one and black in the other right tons of options now on the complete polar end of this of the spectrum you have a pair of foam posit army themed let's call it fighter jet there's a fighter jet single snowboarding boot here what's the name of the the style again it's called a kaiju the kaiju like the japanese godzilla monsters that we are all very much in love with because they keep making godzilla movies what's not to love about godzilla he's friendly to a degree (laughs) he helps when things get really bad but um you have these snowboarding boots that look like they came out in about 2011 2012 or would have these never released to be very clear so these were not in the streets but this these fantastic boots that if you're a snowboarding fan or a winter explorer these are going to be some great options for you so the guy who owned this collection did a lot of work on the foam posit which explains why there are a lot of unique foam posit samples including this snowboarding boot, which, by the way, this single snowboarding boot is already going for more than a thousand dollars. And he has a pair of foam posit snowboarding boots that are already going for twenty three hundred dollars. There's foam posit golf shoes in this collection. You wouldn't know it. It, would, it just looks like a golf shoe. But mm-hmm. then you hold it and you start pushing on the upper and it's got that familiar foam posit feel to it and sure enough they're golf posits some knock on wood knock on foam posit yeah right when i built the shoeseum in las vegas i always wanted there to be some angel investor or like i wanted to collaborate with the casino like the cosmopolitan or bellagio and like really take what i was doing to the next level there was a titanic Museum that I had visited in Vegas just as I was about to open up the Shoeseum. I used to go to museums in Las Vegas for inspiration just to see like what the other people were doing. Mm-hmm. So there was a Titanic Museum. There was a shark encounter at Mandalay Bay. There's the Mob Museum. Um, there was a gambling museum. There was a pinball museum. I went to all of these. When I went to the Titanic Museum, they had a replica of like a big giant like the ice that the Titanic like smashed into. 
So there was like a like a mock iceberg or something that you could touch. Mm-hmm. And I remember walking in there and just having this like fantasy land foam posit exhibit where you would walk in and there was like a foam posit the size of a wall that you could go up to and just like touch and push and like kind of like squeeze. And then in my head, the whole room was made of pennies. Like like copper pennies, like the floor, the ceiling, the walls. And it was like, and then Pennies from Heaven was playing in the background. I never had the money to that take. That would be the coolest install. I'm just thinking in my brain. Like if you had, think like an accent wall. Like if you were interior decorating, you have pennies everywhere. And then one accent wall, just foam posit. Just like a big giant 3D like like sticking out of the wall that you could just go up to and just put your hands on. And like, it feels like, like, like Tempur-Pedic or something or like memory foam with all the curves. Gosh, that'd be so cool. And actually speaking of that, another really cool piece in this collection is the foam posit case, which sadly is made out of plastic, not like the real foam posit material, but there's uh, like a, a briefcase or like a shoe case it's all white and it looks like a a foam posit. It's sick. That is crazy. I want that case. <laughs> the case is fun. So kind of the last shoes we have here, they're all about speed. And we're talking Nike racing cleats. I'm going to let you kind of just go over a little story of, of each pair you have here. We took two out of what? 12 pairs you have there, 15 pairs. So there are 23 pairs of promo sample track spikes and about a dozen of them are PEs. So they would have been made exclusively for athletes and the athletes happen to be the fastest people on the planet. So I'm sitting here with a pair of shoes that was made for Eliud Kipchoge. Kipchoge most recently broke the two-hour marathon. Very recently, actually. And this was just like a huge milestone that previously was, it was thought that nobody would ever be able to break a two-hour marathon. This was something that was compared to breaking the four-minute mile that Roger Bannister did you know, like 60 or 70 years ago. Mm -hmm. But anyway, Kipchoge most recently broke the two-hour marathon. But this pair of shoes is a 2006 Eliud Kipchoge PE. And it's just amazing to think that Nike made this shoe specifically for him, the fastest person on the planet, way back in 2006. So 13 years ago, he must have been about 20 years old or so at the time it would have been very early on with his contract with nike and this shoe is just absolutely stunning these pe track spikes are just magnificent like you look at the materials and the craftsmanship and the soles and and they're just wild and they're so lightweight when You talk about track spikes and about them being lightweight. It really goes back to the earliest days of Nike and Bill Bowerman, the co-founder of Nike, who was obsessed with shaving weight off of shoes. Uh, 
Bowerman actually figured out that if you could shave an ounce off of a pair of shoes, it would save a runner from carrying 55 pounds during the course of a mile. Bill Bowerman actually figured out how many steps it would take for a six foot tall person to run a mile. And then he calculated the added weight of having an ounce on a pair of shoes and having to lift your feet and carry that ounce that far. And he figured out that you'd be lugging 55 pounds. So we're looking at a PE track spike here that was made for Justin Gatlin. It's one of three pairs of shoes that are called the Zoom Big Brother. And there's two other PEs for different athletes. But this shoe is fantastic because when you look at the upper, there's parts of it that are just completely cut out and see through. Like there's not even any material. You can stick your finger right through the holes. And it was just an attempt to shave off as much weight as possible off of these shoes so the runner wouldn't have to carry anything more than what was absolutely necessary. It looks post-production. It looks like somebody took a pair of shears and put the holes in after the shoe was completed just to kind of test out because there's other pairs that don't have those holes in them here, right? Yeah. So it looks like those pairs specifically were, all right, let's test something different. Let's try it out. But the colors on that thing are absolutely great. There's this gradient fade on the outsole. Blue and green. The other PEs of the same shoe actually have different outsoles. One of them has like a gradient rainbow to it. These track spikes, I seriously can't say enough about them. I took so much time when I was photographing them and describing them because really they're the type of things that pictures and words just don't do these things justice. You have to imagine Nike is the greatest shoe company in the world and they were handcrafting shoes specifically for the fastest people on the planet and making these shoes just the absolute best that they can be. And that's what we have here. And when you're touching them and looking at them and feeling them, it's just like, it's just wow. They get me. They get me every time I see them. And this like, there's materials on here that we I never felt before on a shoe. Like this really hard netted material that kind of feels like a Jordan 4, if it was like part porcupine. Yeah, like part sandpaper or, it, it's, it's just wild. They have the old school Nike lowercase branding with the check on it. No registered trademark on there either. So it would have been just like the earliest, earliest Nikes. Nike got started in 1972 and they trademarked Nike in 1974. So if you ever see a lowercase Nike without a little registered R there, it would have been 72 or 73 because 74 or after and you'd have a registered trademark. So these ones kind of like go back to the earliest days, even though these shoes, of course, are from like. 2006. Mm -hmm. Gosh, I can feel the speed in my hand. Yes. Some of these shoes are mismates on purpose because that particular athlete has an 11 and a half left and a 12 right. And these shoes were made for that person. Some of the shoes have like a shocks on one shoe and not on the other because that's a shoe that was maybe made for catapulting or for some 
activity where you would spring off of mm-hmm. one foot and not off of the other. Maybe it just felt better. Who knows? But it'll be very interesting to see how these track spikes do, how the auctions do, mm-hmm. just because, I mean, these shoes just don't surface. How long do people have until bid? When do the auctions end? They end on Sunday, December 15th. Still. Everything's on eBay. My user ID is Shoeseum. If you want a quick, easy way to get there, you can go on Instagram and there's a link in my bio. My Instagram ID is Shoeseum as well. So you can find them there. You can find the listings there. I mean, even after these listings are ending, we highly recommend you follow Jordy just for stuff and insight that you're just not going to see on other pages. Thank you. No, of course. I mean, if nothing else, just go check these shoes out. Seriously, like even if you're not looking to buy anything, just take a little bit of time and peruse the listings because I promise you there's stuff that you'll never see anywhere else. You're going to learn something like I've even seen shoes here and we talk about it in other episodes. You learn something new every day and I see shoes here. Like the air, there's not, there's not air in there, but the lazy boys. So the super size me shoes, I had no idea those existed. The tacos did not know existed. I mean, the list goes on and on. There's so much stuff we want to talk about, but we're, we're getting right here towards the end of the episode. So Jordy, man, I really appreciate your time. Appreciate your knowledge and expertise going through these with us. Again, you can follow him at Shoeseum. Make sure you follow Sneaker History at Sneaker History on all the major platforms. We do have some DesignerCon t-shirts still available for sale. So if you're looking to get some SneakerCon swag, um, you can pick some up there. I just said SneakerCon, but it's DesignerCon. There's so many cons going on. But um, you can find that all on the Sneaker History website. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We hope you have a great day and afternoon, evening. Whenever you're listening to this, but we appreciate your time. Thank you. Have a great night, day, whatever. You instantly want to go to day every single time. Hey, hey, Nick here again. Before you take off, I want to thank you for listening to the Sneaker History Podcast. Be sure to hop into our Discord to answer this episode's The Last Shot question and get to know our community of sneaker enthusiasts. If you'd like more insights on the trending topics in the sneaker world, I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com newsletter. And last but not least, tell someone you like their kicks today. You never know how far a simple compliment can take you And we all know how good it feels to be on the receiving end of some appreciation. Thank you for all the support, and we will catch you on the next episode. Peace.